Hello, and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about the things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner. And I'm KW Taylor. Today, we're going to talk about a fantasy book series called The Queen's Thief and a comedy movie called Valley Girl. And then we're also going to have a little freeform conversation about spoilers. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, you've you've really been into this book series for quite some time, and yes. I'm not reading it. Our friend Rachel is, and <laughs> I know you guys have fun talking about it. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't really know much about it, but you're reading a new short story in that universe. And, yeah, yeah so explain it. Okay, yeah. For perspective, I have been reading this series since I was, like, 12. Oh, my gosh. Pro- actually, probably earlier, like, 10. So the first book came out in 1997. Oh my goodness. And the last book came out last November. (laughs) So the the book that came out recently is called Moira's Pen. And that's the one I'm currently reading. It's a book of short stories set in the universe of this this fantasy world. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's sort of fleshing some stuff out and we get glimpses of characters we don't see too often in the books and things like that but yeah I've been really into the series since I was a kid my I think my mom brought it home for me she used to bring home books for me sometimes and I've probably told this story before but I remember just sitting in the basement on the couch like and I didn't get up until I finished this book oh wow (laughs) so the the first book is called The Thief Mm -hmm. these books are written by Megan Whalen Turner Mm -hmm. And, oh, they're technically young adult books, but I think they kind of get older as as you go. And it's set kind of in a Greece-Byzantium-inspired world. Oh, fun. They are set in this, what's, what's called the Little Peninsula. So it's this group of three small countries. The first is called Sunis and... There's Atolia, and then there's Edis. So you really kind of start the series zoomed in on this little peninsula. The first book, the main character, his name is Jen, short for Eugenides. And he, Eugenides is the god of thieves. And Jen is the self-proclaimed best thief in the world. So, but he's in prison (laughs) for thieving. (laughs) (laughs) so he can't be that good right (laughs) so he's in prison in sunis and he gets spotted not spotted he makes these claims in taverns that he can steal anything so the king of sunis finds out about this somehow and he sends his magus who is just called the magus throughout the book he doesn't he I think he gets the name later but <laughs> but he's just the magus <laughs> for now and he comes to the prison and is like hey I I will let you out if you can steal this thing for me and the thing it's been a little while since I've read the first book so I don't remember if if Jen gets told right when the job starts or like in the middle of this trip but the thing that he is sent to steal is this little stone that is an artifact from the gods and it's 
been lost for centuries, probably. But the mages thinks he knows where it is. And whoever has this stone is said to have like the rightful claim to the throne of Edith. So basically, Jen gets caught up in this big political thing. If he steals this, this stone for the king of Sunus, the king of Sunus can then sort of rightfully take over Edith. So all of that comes out throughout the book and it it embroils Jen, who is like this very tiny character into this bigger political thing. Mm. I think one of the things that Megan Whalen Turner is great at is all of the politics. She just keeps you on your toes and she keeps you guessing about people and their motivation. And I just, oh, it's so good. But basically, the first <laughs> book is just, it's a road trip story, and it's a heist story. <laughs> mm. So it's really cool, because one of the things that I love that she does, and I sort of brought this into my own stories, is she uses like oral history and uh, stories about the gods, and she sort of seeds them throughout. But there are a couple of points where, you know, the characters are sitting around talk- the fire talking about the gods and different things like that. And Jen's just like, that's that's not the story I know. You know, that's not the story that we tell in my part of the country and stuff like that. So she uses this mm-hmm. idea of oral history and how it gets passed down differently and things like that, which I thought is really cool, you know? Mm-hmm. Another thing that I really love about this series is every book is told by different people. So the first book is Jen's point of view, strictly Jen's point of view, because it's first person. And even though, even though it's first person, she manages to make Jen an unreliable character. And it's so fascinating how she does it. Like, Oh, I feel like this book is best read twice. Oh, once for the story and uh-huh. and then once so you can see all of the the seeds that she put throughout the breadcrumbs that you oh. didn't see the first time. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. So she's just really great at plotting and and plotting out twists specifically like all of the books have twists at the end that are crazy (laughs) but then you're like oh i should have seen that coming (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah so she's just really really good at that cool and then the second book is called the queen of atolia and another thing well i was gonna say the perspective sort of broaden with each book but i don't don't think that's strictly true actually (laughs) so (laughs) but with this one it does because this is a book that has multiple points of view and they're all Mm -hmm. in third person so you do see jen again but you don't get inside his head as much as you did in the first book okay okay and um you also see the queen of atolia the title character and her name is Irene, and she is amazing. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> but she, 
you know, she's the queen of this third country in the little peninsula, and she sort of hangs on to power through fear a little bit. She she has this wild backstory where she like poisoned her husband <laughs> because he was like plotting to sort of not take the throne because he already kind of had it, but like plotting to make her irrelevant sort of. Mm-hmm. And she was like, not on my watch. And then poisoned his wine. <laughs> <laughs> so the the stuff that happens in book two is more like there is a looming threat of war from what they call the continent. So you don't know much about the continent in the first book, but it comes becomes more relevant in this one. And Atolia sort of aligns herself with the Mede Empire, which is an, a part of the continent. And Sunus and Edis kind of have to juggle that and make sure they don't get crushed if the Mede Empire takes over Atolia, basically. So it becomes more political, mm-hmm. but there are also some wonderful and wild character moments. Like, there's something very traumatic that happens near the beginning of the book, and you're like, how oh. does... How do the characters come back from this? But everything mm-hmm. kind of works out in the in the end. Good. <laughs> and then the third book is called The King of Atolia. And it once again changes narrators. So we have a third person narrator, but this time it is limited to one character named Costas, who we haven't seen before. And he becomes sort of... Uh, personal guard to eugenides mm-hmm. so we do see eugenides again but we see him through the perspective of this guard who like sort of hates him at first <laughs> <laughs> and they have to sort of get to know one another and again there's another twist and it's very political but it's one of those things where you kind of you can look back and see all the pieces that were dotted throughout. And it's just, I don't know. Like, I don't want to give you a ton about the plots because they build on each other, but yeah, it's just like the reading experience of these is so satisfying, I think. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what I love about them. And I've read them multiple times. Like I've read each of these at least twice except for maybe the last one and the the first three i've probably read like five or six times (laughs) oh goodness (laughs) yeah the fourth one is called a conspiracy of kings and it follows a man named sophos who was the magus's apprentice in book one so he was a character in book one and he comes back in book four, and it's that is sort of his story. So the first half is his backstory, and then the second half is current political machinations, <laughs> also involving Jen. Because <laughs> <laughs> Jen is always around when there are shenanigans. And then book five is called Thick as Thieves, and we have another character, or another narration shift, which, I mean, I think this might turn people off because you want you know like if you have favorite characters you want to stick with them but 
the way Turner does it, I feel like it keeps everything very fresh and it gives you different parts of the world as well. That's what Thick as Thieves does, which is number five. It follows uh, a guy named Kamet. He is a slave and he was a slave to the Mede Empire from book two. So we sort of get the aftermath of book two here and we get more of the world and she does a lot of that lovely storytelling and world building through the stories of the world and the theater and the poems that that people write and things like that. And then the last book in the series is called Return of the Thief and it is once again narrated by someone else. <laughs> <laughs> I think his name is Faraday's, but he's like a he's like a child. He's like eleven years old or something, uh-huh. and he becomes a scribe in the palace in one of the palaces. Uh-huh. So he's sort of writing down this history, and Jen is back as Return of the Thief implies, um, because he didn't he didn't really make an appearance in Thick as Thieves, which is number five, and. Yeah, that one was really interesting, and that one is one that I have to read again, because it it only came out in 2020, but it sort of ties the world up pretty neatly. It ties up the characters, and most of them get happy endings, which I was happy with. And and then the, the last book that came out is sort of a side book. It's the Moira's pen book that has all the short stories that that give you more about the world and more about the characters. And one character that I forgot to mention, she does come up a lot, but she's not, she's never really the main character, but her name's Helen and she's the queen of Edis. And uh, she's just cake butt and I love her. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I am, I'm like 50 pages into this book. It's about 200 pages and I cried during the first story. (laughs) It was about Helen as a child. And I, yeah, I just like these characters have been with me for literally 20 years and they're just close to my heart. And the world building is always really cool. And I think if you were to read these books and then what, and then read one of my books, you would sort of be able to pick out some of the influences there. So, yeah. And the thing about these is they are very fast reads. They're young adult books. Really? The first book is, the first like three books are pretty, or yeah, you know what? They're all pretty short. The last one gets a little bit long. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I think you should read the first book and see what happens. Okay. (laughs) If you want to. Cool. Since I'm reading Gatsby. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I am, by the way. I'm 37% of the way into the audiobook. (laughs) Nice. Okay. We'll have to do a, we'll we'll do a redux with that to see how you liked it. Okay. (laughs) Cool. No, that, that, that does sound good. I think one of my, one of my things with epic fantasy or, or longer fantasy is, not only the length of the series, like, so even though it's not epic fantasy per se, Discworld intimidates oh, yeah. me so much because there's a billion books and it's crazy. Yeah. But 
young adult, I think, is a little more approachable for me, not because I want to focus on young people, but because it does tend to be a little bit shorter. Mm-hmm. And I like me a short book. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you can kind of stop anywhere with these. Mm-hmm. You do obviously get more of the story, but each has a neatly tied up ending that if That's you good. decided you didn't want to keep going, you don't have mm-hmm. to. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Nice. I'm very curious to see what you think about book one. <laughs> 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 but you watched a movie recently that I know nothing about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is an this is an older film that I've seen before, but it's been a minute. And been a minute. Been a minute. But the other night I noticed it was on HBO, HBO Max, so I just went ahead and watched it on impulse and I've gotten inspired to possibly even write an article about it. So, so this is called Valley girl and it's from 1983. There is a remake from 2020. I've never seen that. It is not well reviewed. (laughs) I would not, I would not bother with that. (laughs) Okay. So the original, it's a little edgier than I remembered. So I don't know if this would be up your alley, but it may not be for a lot of reasons, but at least (laughs) you can hear about it. So, although it is technically based on Romeo and Juliet. Oh, okay. So it is, it's technically a romantic comedy, but it's much more of a weird cult movie. It's very, it's very strange in some ways, but it's, it's also kind of a lot of fun. So let me explain what it's about. Okay. (laughs) So actually the term Valley Girl, since maybe, I don't know if you're familiar with this term. A little bit. A little bit. So it's technically a girl from the San Fernando Valley in California near Los Angeles, who had, especially in the late 70s, early 80s, had a very particular way of speaking, kind of slang. That's kind of where we ever since then have started to use the word like as an interjection. They use they like use the word like a lot, like, you know, and they use a lot of very specific slang that today's ears, it would sound kind of silly, but it's no sillier than Gen Z TikTok speak or something. So, but these are kind of like upper middle class girls who go to the mall a lot and they just are kind of seen as a little bit superficial and shallow. And there's one main girl, Julie, who's in this clique and she's dating this guy, Tommy, who's kind of a a jerk and weird. And she's getting kind of frustrated that he's just kind of nothing. And you can kind of tell that even though she hangs out with these very shallow girls that she's actually got a lot of really good heart and soul. And she's a little bit more sensitive than most of these girls and does think a little bit more deeply. And she wants a lot more out of her love life than this guy is really providing. So she is at the beach with her friends and she sees this guy who she thinks is kind of hot, but she doesn't realize because they're they're at the beach and he's kind of out of context that he's actually a punk from Hollywood. <laughs> so he's very not the suburban guy. He's very edgy and kind of rock and roll and whatever. <laughs> but she thinks he's really cute. And he is played by a 18-year-old Nicolas Cage. Oh, my gosh. That is so young. <laughs> yes. And he is, to be honest, he is very cute as a, when he was young. So I get what she sees in him. Oh, Julie is played by Deborah Foreman, who hasn't really gone on. She did a lot of horror movies in the 80s, but she kind of transitioned her career later to become a photographer. So she's not really gone on to a lot of fame. There's not a lot of famous people in this, but the young Nicolas Cage 
really is. <laughs> also, I want to mention this movie is directed by Martha Coolidge, who has gone on to a lot of really classic movies, especially teen movies of the 80s, but also some more dramatic films. And she at one point was even the pre the president of the DGA Directors Guild of America. So oh, wow. she's kind of a big deal in especially female directors of this era. Mm -hmm. So when when this movie was proposed to her, it was presented as a teen exploitation film and it was supposed to be a lot trashier and she ended up really elevating the material and people were pleasantly surprised at how how much heart and depth it ended up having <laughs> because i think the original script was a little shallow anyway so she so julie is kind of enamored with this guy randy is the punk and he his friend overhears that one of Julie's friends is throwing a party. So and he thinks, oh, these girls are cute. So let's go to this party. Well, they show up and they're in the valley. And Randy is like, this is not for us. We should not be here. We are out of place because they're wearing like they have crazy colored hair and they're all in leather. And this is this nice suburban house. And but then his friend is like, no, no, it's like all the girls are hot. So they sneak in the party and immediately they get kicked out because they're weird and but julie <laughs> julie is still kind of interested in him despite how he's totally different and so they sneak out of the party together and she brings her friend who's scandalized and the guys take the girls to like a punk club in hollywood and the other girl is just like this is <laughs> awful i hate everything about this and whatever but Julie and Randy are into each other, and it just kind of goes from there of, like, them trying to navigate dating when their social circles are just completely in opposition. Mm -hmm. And one of the other things that's really cute – well, there's a couple of things. Julie's parents are actually former hippies who run a health food store, so they're not very – suburban valley people and i think you get the sense that that's why she's a little bit different yeah and they're very like do whatever you want and whatever and they're so supportive and stuff and they're really funny and cute together and then also the soundtrack is full of all these really interesting new wave songs from the early 80s they weren't like all big hits but they were kind of again like the movie itself sort of cult classics and so the movie is known for its really good soundtrack as much as it's um kind of plot and stuff and again the young Nicolas Cage but the some of the other reasons I think that it sort of got bigger than it, I mean it was it had a microscopic budget it was like you know made for less than half a million dollars and yet it's you know garnered a lot more critically critical acclaim and money since then especially on home video but it also is before the mid 80s John Hughes teen movies Okay. Um, and yet it clearly really influenced them. Those are a little bit more squeaky clean and stuff. This is, like I said, a little bit more edgy. But you can tell some of the teen movie tropes of the 80s are starting here. Mm -hmm. But because it's it was filmed on location in and around Hollywood and Los Angeles, and there's some strange... Like, it, it also is a little bit of a love letter to the general L.A. area of a certain time. So it's a little bit of a time capsule in that regard. And it's just, I don't know, it's, oh, I'm reading here that the budget was $350,000. <laughs> so this was made for nothing. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's for being kind of strange and weird and a very specific era. It is, it, it's pretty funny. It has a lot of heart. It's got a very sweet love story. And you know, it's it's fairly predictable in many ways. Yeah. Uh, some of it, some of the dialogue is a little like dumb, but 
it takes a minute to get going. Like I was surprised at how, ooh, this is not funny. It's not really getting going. But once you get into it and they actually meet, it does start to kind of gel and you see what they each see in each other. And it's just, it's just really charming. So yeah, it's also at 99 minutes. So if you like a short movie. Excellent. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's just kind of cute. But there's a lot of like, you know, moments that feel very low rent. I don't know. I sometimes like a weird low budget movie, but you can really tell why this became a classic. I, like I said, I have no interest in seeing the remake. I think that it was pretty uh, summarily panned. <laughs> but it's a musical. It's a musical, but <laughs> it's, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I haven't heard anyone say that that's any good. But yeah, no, I'm just kidding. My <laughs> my idea for an article was to do a, a much more direct comparison of it with the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie, because in rewatching this, I was noting that there were a lot more direct similarities of even scenes that are identical in both movies. And that makes me think that Buffy, the film, not the TV show, was actually doing a very close homage, imagining what if the girl in Valley Girl had been a vampire slayer, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there were there were some moments that were like note for note. So I was like, I need to, wow. yeah. And so I'm kind of also doing research into this the Valley Girl subculture yeah. and uh, some other elements of that. So nice. yeah, yeah, that sounds cute. It is cute. Like I said, I don't know if you would super all the way enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It's a little. There's some things that are a little sexist. Apparently, Coolidge was was told you have to have a certain amount of like sex scenes in the movie or else you can't make it. So she was kind of forced to do some stuff that she might not have. So it is rated R and, and stuff, but, but I think you can get past some of that and just kind of see the, the heart of it. So it's very sweet. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, I, you know what? I'll put it on my list. I can't promise I'll watch it soon, but yeah, no, it's fun. Yeah. So we we wanted to talk about this concept of spoilers because, <laughs> can I say, you recently told me that you have not been watching the new season of Yellow Jackets, which we will we will talk about that season when it's done. But you watched all of season one. Yeah. I watched all of season one. Yeah. I've been watching season two as it comes out. Mm-hmm. But you have not been. So what did you do? Tell our <laughs> listeners what you did. I looked up spoilers, listeners, mm-hmm. <laughs> and KW was not happy with me. <laughs> nope. Okay, so my experience with season one was I really needed to binge it. Okay. And I did binge it because I, th- you told me about it and then I waited until it was all out. No, I didn't wait until it was all out. I waited, or I started it like right after you told me to. And there mm-hmm. were like eight episodes out out of ten or something. So yeah. I binged yeah. them all, and I was like, "What? What? Like, I need to find out what happens." And then I mm-hmm. had to wait a week for the next episode, and I was not happy. <laughs> 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 so I realized that I should probably just binge season two. So I've been waiting until all the episodes are out. Mm-hmm. Except I got curious, and I was like, "Is there?" cannibalism so (laughs) so yeah i mean i didn't i i feel the need to clarify that i didn't (laughs) go look up recaps or anything i just searched yellow jacket spoilers 
on Tumblr, which is different than like the real internet. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It gives you a little bit skewed Mm -hmm. results. (laughs) Okay. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I was just, I just saw some stuff here and there and I was like, okay, now I know what I'm in for, for Mm. season two, you know? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Okay. So, you clearly would not do that for yellow jackets, right? No, but I will I will allow this that I understand and that yellow jackets if if our listeners forget is a very harrowing show. It's yes. stressful, it's angsty. These girls were we we did talk about this a while ago, but it was they were soccer a soccer team whose plane crashed while they were on their way to a meet and they're in the Canadian wilderness in the winter time with very little food and it's extremely awful. So there is like a horror element and what are they going to re- resort to to make sure they stay alive? Okay, so it's that kind of show. So it's understandable, but it is also like this magical realism thing. And I, I don't know, I just, I, I didn't want to be spoiled for it. But yeah. there is a different show that we were probably going to also talk about in a later episode called Shrinking on Apple Plus, which is basically a comedy drama from the people who made uh, Scrubs and Ted Lasso. It's very heartwarming and sweet about therapists in, I forget what city they live in. Anyway, um, they, but that, that doesn't matter. They're a a <laughs> set okay. of three, three therapists in a practice together and their lives and foibles and whatnot. But I had heard that there was a shocking thing that happened in the season finale in this mostly pretty standard, heartwarming, not very surprising show. So I got very concerned because I got very, I felt very protective of the characters and I was very worried. And one of the characters is played by Harrison Ford and his character has Parkinson's disease. And I got worried that he was going to die. And I didn't want that to blindside me if that was true. So I did look up to see what happened. And I read it and I was, I processed it. And so then when I watched that episode, I was not left feeling all upset. So yeah, I understand. I don't approve, but I understand. (laughs) (laughs) But we we were talking before we started recording today that like, people have very different relationships to spoilers. Yeah. And I used to read so-called precaps or or spoilers when news about an episode of a show that I liked would come out way before it aired, I would go ahead and get spoiled. And this is pre-streaming era when I was mostly watching like network TV and cable TV. So shows that would come out once a week, I wanted to know well in advance for some reason what happened. So I would read these and like go in not blind to a show. Mm -hmm. And that was my practice. And I feel like at some point culturally, especially st- shifting to streaming we we as a society decided that spoilers were bad yeah and so i don't know but apparently apparently you're fine with them so <laughs> wow that's a, a little passive aggressive <laughs> i'm just i'm just kidding i'm just kidding i'm just kidding <laughs> yeah i have an interesting relationship with spoilers mm-hmm. i think also you know, what constitutes a spoiler for you? Yeah. Movies put out clips before the the movie drops to get you excited mm-hmm. and stuff. Is that yeah. a spoiler for people? I don't know. Yeah. For me, no. When I was, uh, let's see, I was 11 when the first Star Wars came out. So before episode two came out, mm-hmm. I was like 13 and 
I was obsessed with Star Wars and you know how obsessive I can get. So I was <laughs> greedily eating up everything that came out about mm-hmm. it, you know, so every mm-hmm. book that came out, every magazine, I was like, what's going to be an episode two? So <laughs> <laughs> I think starting from that, spoilers don't seem like a, a big thing to me, mm-hmm. but yeah, we've definitely gotten to this place especially with things like the MCU and Star Wars and stuff like that, mm-hmm. where it's seen as bad. Mm-hmm. And like, you have to, it, it, I think it also is wrapped up in this, this culture of immediacy too. Like you have to go see the new MC, MCU movie on opening night or else you will get spoiled. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of pushing people to go see stuff right away and to watch it mm-hmm. right away and I don't always mm-hmm. love that. So yeah. I'm like, you know what? No, I will just look up what happens and then I'll, then I'll go see it later. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't like that at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think story-wise too, like if you're, if we are relying on spoilers or if we're relying on things that shock people mm-hmm. or surprise people just for the sake of surprise... Yeah. I don't think necessarily that is good storytelling. No. And, no. you know, I learned this in high school when we read Romeo and Juliet, right? Mm-hmm. It tells you right at the beginning these kids are going to die. Yeah. <laughs> you know they're going to die because the – sorry. I will spoil you and the listeners that no one dies in Valley Girl, even though Excellent. it's based on Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> it's... No, that's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not – it doesn't suddenly take a dark turn. No. No, no. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in high school, I learned it's not necessarily what happens in mm-hmm. a story. It's about how it happens. And mm-hmm. that's big in romance, too. Like, everyone's like, yeah. romance is so the sa- is all the same because they always just get together at the end. And I'm like, yeah, but it's how it happens that matters. Yes. And that's fun. The journey is fun. So mm-hmm. that is my stance on stories, I think, mm-hmm. if... Even if I know what's going to happen, it's not necessarily going to diminish my enjoyment. Mm-hmm. And if it does, then you told your story wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I also will, I, I'm realizing as we're talking that I do look up spoilers for things that I have no intention of watching mm-hmm. or reading. Right, yeah. Like, like the human centipede. I never wanted to see that movie. I have no desire, but I was like, let me see what I would have missed. And reading it, because this is a graphic, graphic, terrible horror movie that it's too gross for me. Yeah. But I was like, well, I'm at least a little curious about what was the plot. Like, what? Yeah. so, and also to re- reinforce the idea that, yeah, no, this wouldn't have been for me. And it's not as bad to read it as it is to watch it. Right. You know what I mean? And that reminds me that I did the exact same thing with Barbie. Barbarian. Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) So you didn't actually watch it, but you did watch it, and I don't think I can. But I did look up what happened. Yeah, it seemed really bizarre. It was weird, not for me. Right, right. Yeah, and I went into that movie very blind, without being spoiled, and I don't know if I would have watched it if I knew what was going to happen. But I actually didn't hate it. Right. I. That's that kind of horror movie where you have to remind yourself, this is all fake. This is all fake. And if you can get yourself through that, it's fine. But yeah, um, but yeah not every – and it's like I like to read horror a lot more than I like to watch it usually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you can kind of gloss over the more extreme parts. Um, and I do find that horror literature is not as 
gross as horror movies can be. So, yeah, I think I for me it can be equally gross, but it's easier for me to digest on the page versus yes. visually on the screen. But I think yes. horror is definitely one of those genres that I encourage people to look up spoilers because it's something yeah. that can be so like the content can be so heavy. Mm-hmm. for certain people so if you want to look up content warnings and stuff i think that's a good good yes. way to do it before you Very go into good. something blind you don't want to go into horror too blind you know no 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 yeah so i mean i think there's nothing i i even though i was joking with you a lot i don't think there's anything wrong with what you did or what you what you because you're right that like yeah the entire genre of romance novels Unless there's something kind of weird about a particular book, it's it's expected that your characters will maybe not get married at the end or be fully committed to each other, but you think they're at least together for now and they're happy for now. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that, often the romance community will feel very betrayed Yeah, and it is seen as kind of a faux pas. But that doesn't mean that every single story, even though there is a little bit of a template, not every single book will follow that template 100%. And they'll often subvert things a little bit, which makes it fun, or they'll do something a little different. But it's still kind of, you know, and, and really, there's only so many ways to construct a plot anyway, even if you do wacky, different experimental things with it, you're still gonna have kind of a Freitag's pyramid and you're still going to kind of have these main plot points and if it doesn't it's going to feel kind of you know not satisfying mm-hmm. so for sure so even if you know what that ending moment is or how things resolve you still go on the journey with them and that's you know yeah yeah it's all about the journey yeah and I will say that I have been unspoiled for things and I have been pleasantly surprised in movies so I don't go <laughs> look up movies and tv all the time <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> like one of my favorite memories is going to see The Force Awakens mm-hmm. without like there wasn't a lot about the plot <laughs> <laughs> and all of the marketing made it seem like Finn was the main character and mm-hmm. and I do think that's sort of problematic in the sense that we all thought there would be a black main character and he is a big he is a big character. That's, mm-hmm. that's I won't take away from that. But mm-hmm. it was just so exciting sitting in the theater and realizing that we were gonna get a female Jedi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there are definitely moments that I've had that I was like, Oh, I went into this without knowing anything about it and it has exceeded all expectations. Yeah, and that's always fun. The the opposite can also absolutely happen. I was going through a stage where I was watching a lot of A24 horror movies on streaming and not knowing anything about a particular title. And there have been a couple of duds where I was like, I wish I had known a little bit more instead of just going, this looks interesting on the poster. Let me just yeah. watch it because it's 80 minutes long. Like that's not always the best way to choose what you're going to watch. <laughs> So yeah. I definitely fall on the side of pro spoilers if you need them, mm-hmm. if you want them, mm-hmm. um, and I won't shame anyone for that. <laughs> no, no. I will say, too, that I get spoiler reverse for big tentpole, not tentpole, what's the term, like big, big, uh, 
Well, I was gonna. I was actually gonna talk about television. So, like oh. appointment television, okay. like Succession. I don't yeah. want Succession spoilers as we get toward the end of that show. That's fair. And one of the best ways I have found to avoid getting accidentally spoiled is to quit Twitter. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I don't miss it. I don't miss it. I think you know what we I, talking about that. I think we have been very good in our group chats when mm-hmm. someone has not seen a thing and uh, two other people have we're like mm-hmm. wait let's move it to a private chat so that yes. <laughs> yes. so we are we do try to be respectful yes yes absolutely <laughs> don't be a jerk and if you're pro spoiler don't like spoil someone on purpose when they don't want to be that's Yes, that is very mean. And I'm anti that. But in terms of spoiling yourself, knowing what you're getting into, I think that's, that's understandable. Yeah. So no biggie. (laughs) (laughs) But um, we talked about Queen's Thief series. And I assume you can get all of the books wherever you get your books. I would assume so. Yeah. Okay. And uh, (laughs) Valley Girl is I think still streaming on HBO Max, but it's there's like a special edition Blu-ray that's out from just a couple years ago, which I may actually get because I kind of want all the deleted scenes and commentary. So yeah. Nice. I miss deleted scenes and commentaries. (laughs) I know. That's why I think I'm going to get the Blu-ray because I think I want some of that insight. So we'll see. Thanks. We'll be talking about some more great pop culture stuff. So be sure to join us in two weeks. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find our website at PositivelyPopCulture.com, and from there you can find the link to the merch store, as well as our email, PositivelyPopCulture at gmail.com. And please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Stay healthy and safe, and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. <laughs>